Blog Talk Radio. Language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk the podcast. I've been away some this summer. We've been dealing with some family emergencies with an illness, and just all kinds of things have happened. And so, for that break or during that break, boy, gosh, life kind of hits you upside the head. But we are back and hopefully on track with the weekly show from here on out. So, if you've missed it, I am glad. And again, so 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 happy to be back and if this is your first time welcome and what a good show for you to begin if this is your first time listening because we're going to kind of go back to the beginning and talk about what happens (laughs) when you first as a parent realize oh no this is not going as I had planned my child is not talking and a lot of times this is the the point when I first meet parents when they are really frustrated with their own child's lack of progress with language. And lots of times as parents we just dismiss that, we kind of blow it off, and we wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and think things are going to fall into place, and then they don't, and then we're kind of shell-shocked for a little while because we just kept thinking, you know, it's going to happen any day. I know tomorrow's going to be different. I'm going to try one more new thing. I'm going to say it, you know, he's just going to wake up and be talking. And, again, that that's an expectation that popular culture <laughs> – facilitates in that, you know, oh, he's not going to talk until he's three, and then he's going to wake up and just be talking in paragraphs the next day. And I'll just say that could happen, and I'm not denying it when a parent reports that that's happened. However, (laughs) in my more than 25-year career as a speech-language pathologist, that rarely happens. It's much more sequential than that, and we'll see that progress or lack of progress day after day after day after day. So it's really important as a parent to pay attention to this and to recognize and realize, gosh, there are some things I can do differently. Now, if you are a parent and listening to the show, you're way ahead of the crowd with this because you are already taking action. And let me just say, if nobody has congratulated you in a while for really taking the bull by the horns here and really saying, I can make a difference with this. I'm this kid's parent. This doesn't fall to a therapist or a teacher or whoever. This falls on me. If nobody's put their arm around you or given you a high five or a big smile and said, Mom, you're doing a good job, or Dad, hey, hats off to you. You're doing it the right way. Let me let me do that for you today because I think that reinforcement of your action as a parent and and knowing I've got to get on this, there are things that I know I can make a difference in, that's important. So, again, if you've not heard uh, a congratulatory statement or a word of encouragement to you in a while from someone, let me be that person today. You are doing it for your kid, and I I just love parents like you, and I hope that your own therapist, if you're working with someone, is giving you that kind of support because you need to hear it because that's what's going to keep you going when things aren't as smooth and when things are super, super tough, so I want to do that. Now, as therapists, sometimes this is when therapists really, really are looking for a better way to do things. So they're out there looking for a website or looking for – on YouTube for videos, lots of times I get email from people and they'll say, hey, I first found you on YouTube, you know, thanks for those little videos. Or even here with the podcast, I've had 
hundreds of therapists tell me, you know, another therapist tell me about your show, or I like to listen as I drive from appointment to appointment. I just stumbled on the podcast, and that's just been a wealth of information. But the bottom line is, no matter whether you're a parent or a therapist, that's usually why you're looking (laughs) for better ideas because it's not quite going the way that you had hoped. And sometimes parents are surprised to realize and recognize that therapists don't have all the answers with language development. When we first get out of grad school, I would dare say hardly any of us are really prepared to practice. It's in that day-to-day experience that we gain on the floor with kids in families' homes, in a clinic, in a preschool, wherever we're working, that really, really teach us how to design treatment plans. And again, this is based on real life. It's not based on a theory that you learned about in grad school or something that you read in, you know, in a textbook somewhere. It's what you learn day after day after day. And many, many times, even those of us who are mid-career or later career, we'll have a kid who really stumps us or we realize, gosh, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. I need some new tricks. And, again, this is the point where I usually meet people. So, again, that's the purpose of the show today is to really help you find a way to help your own late talker, if you're a parent or if you're a therapist like me, a whole caseload of little toddlers with language delays. Now, any time that we're working on changing something, we need a plan, whether that's your weight or your general health. You know, maybe you're taking a new medication or you're changing your diet or uh, let's say that you just want to make a change in how your home looks. You don't just go in and haphazardly start doing things. You have a plan, and that's what this show is about today. And I, I mentioned earlier that I've had a long career now, over 25 years, and really, really early in my career, I recognized the need for a consistent way so that I didn't miss anything, so a way that I would use every single time, every single kid for designing a treatment plan that made sure that I addressed all aspects of helping a child learn to communicate, and especially those things that happen before we get to the talking piece. Now, it's pretty easy to recognize when a child is not using words. And again, that's why most children are referred for an early intervention evaluation or for an initial speech therapy assessment. The problem is a kid's not talking, but lots of times that's not the sole problem. That's not what's really, really going on. There are underlying skills that are missing or there are weaknesses that you haven't yet identified. And so when we talk about talking and we start with thinking, okay, this kid's not talking, let me just teach him to say new words. Oh, boy, I wish it were that easy. (laughs) But many, many times there are things that that are supposed to occur developmentally before we get to that talking piece. And, And if we don't address those things, that's why a child isn't making progress. That's why we're all become frustrated because we know there's there's something I haven't uncovered here. There's some kind of missing piece. So early in my career, to keep myself on track, I just started looking at, you know, what are, what are the big areas here? I need some kind of hierarchy or a framework or, as we're calling it today, a plan for looking at a toddler's communication skills. And I wanted to look at it in a real continuum. And this, this is how all of us, all of us as therapists, should be thinking anyway. We know that every single skill that a child learns when we're marching toward words or, or looking at the emergence of language or language acquisition, 
every single skill is a building block. And, and, and just that next little rung on the developmental ladder for what comes next. So I started really thinking about that. And again, when I was first practicing in the 1990s, there was, you know, the Internet was not <laughs> established like it is now. It was much, much harder to get information. And even in the field of language development, we had tons of information, but lots of it wasn't user-friendly. It was just a lot of theory. And, again, that my first course that I ever developed was called Early Speech Language Development, Taking Theory to the Floor, because so many times we have lots of that academic knowledge about how language development is supposed to take place or even language assessment, what we look at with children, but then it's, it just stays at that theory level. We, don't, we can't really take it out to application, to that everyday practice. So I started really thinking, okay, if no one else has done this yet or if there's not a system uh, simple enough for a girl like me to use, <laughs> what can I do? What can I use every single day in my, you know, with the five, six, seven clients I saw in a day, what could I do to make sure that that plan was there and, again, that I wasn't missing anything? So worked on it for a long time, and then when Johnny convinced me to launch Teach Me to Talk in 2008, that's what I really, again, 2000, uh, 10 years ago, 2008, 2018, and if you're listening years from now, you know, these shows live on forever, so you may be listening even later. Uh, but that was one of the first goals of Teach Me to Talk. And when I started to speak nationally in 2010, that's one of the first things that I really wanted to talk about is this framework that we can all use to, again, be sure that we're covering all our bases. Now, remember, as we're talking about this, we're going to be looking at four big areas for language development or communication skill development. And, and let me just issue this word of caution here. Don't get caught up on what toy will I use or what activity will I use. At this point, we're just talking about Overall, your framework, what are these big areas? And, and here's the other kicker. You can use any toy or any daily routine or any fun activity that you come up with to teach language. It, and if you have been watching my YouTube videos for a while now and you'll see some toys, again, don't get hung up on that. You can take the strategies and the techniques and, again, today this overall plan and be able to plug in anything you already have or any activity that your child likes to do, or anything that you like to do with a child. So don't get think you know that, oh, she's going to share 100 best therapy activities for toddlers. That's not the purpose of today's show. Today's show is looking at these overall four areas and making sure that you know why each of these is important for language development and that you have a starting point so that you can begin to work with a child. And again, it could be your own child who's struggling with learning how to talk. You may already have a diagnosis. You might have already been to the pediatrician, been and gotten a special developmental assessment. Uh, your child may already have a diagnosis like Down syndrome or cerebral palsy, or you may have already even gotten an autism diagnosis. So you know the label or the big reason there, but guess what? Therapists don't really treat a specific diagnosis. We treat areas of communication development. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. What are these big areas? And let me just run through these four areas, and then we'll talk, and I'll explain each one and talk about, again, what's the link to learning to talk? Why is this important for you? Why is it worth your time to uh, devote to learning how to help a child in this area? 
You know, you've got to make sure that it makes sense to you, and then again, give you some ideas to get started. So the four big areas that we're going to be looking at, first and foremost, a child's level of social engagement or his social and interactive skills. The next piece is receptive language. How well does he understand what he hears? The next piece is expressive language. How does he express himself? And that's actually the talking piece. And then lastly, speech intelligibility. How well do we understand what he's trying to tell us? So let's just start with the first area here, uh, social skills. And I really talk about how interactive is this child? How well does he respond to other people? How well does he initiate with other people? And remember, these kinds of skills are the very foundation, just the bottom first level skill that we have to have children really, really master. So every time we communicate, remember that it involves at least two people. So that's actually the beginning point. This one-on-one -on -one interaction is the reason that language evolved in the first place. So lots of times we do not need words to carry out many of the solitary things that we do every day. You don't really need a word to take a bath or brush your teeth or fix something to eat as an adult. But as soon as another person enters the picture, <laughs> communication becomes necessary. And again, for lots of kids, well, for all kids, it's realizing that another person is there and then learning to enjoy that interaction. But that's the missing piece for lots of uh, toddlers. And, and sometimes parents don't identify the skill or place as much priority or importance on the skill. And sometimes the truth is, well, let's just, let, let me just keep on going with this and then we'll talk about what the problems are. But let's start with what's normal. How should normal social engagement look? Well, first of all, it begins super, super early, as in day one. <laughs> you know, babies don't learn how to talk at 12 months or 15 months or 18 months or how, whatever month you want to use. It actually begins on the very first day they're alive, when they start looking at their mother's faces, when they start watching their fathers as they're, you know, and again, the vision of a newborn is not so great. They're not tracking across the room or anything, but they are able to, in those first few weeks, really, really lock <laughs> that eye contact and that vision, and they, they begin to learn how to communicate with that interactive piece by watching their mother's faces. And so over the first several weeks and months, a baby starts to show evidence that he likes his mom, that he loves his mom, and those feelings of fondness and affection emerge. And we see that as babies start to smile socially, and that usually happens um, you know, in that four to six week period where it's a true social smile, they're not just smiling as they sleep or, so, you know, another bodily function. It's genuine. They're looking at their moms and they're, they're, they're returning that social smile. And so, again, that, that's how language starts. It's learning how to interact with another person. And we see those skills continue to grow and develop. Over a child's first year, he starts to really look at what his mom's looking at when she points. He starts to uh, pay attention, close attention as she talks. He's looking at her, tracking her from across the room. He cries when she's not there because he wants to be with her so badly. So again, that bonding and that emotional connection, so, so important for language development. Sometimes, as therapists, We'll meet parents and families who say, you know, this is, and we'll start to ask some questions about social engagement, and a parent starts to realize, gosh, he used to be a lot more social than he than you're talking about now. He used to really smile with me and interact, 
and make lots of good eye contact. He really listened when other people talked, but somehow that shifted a little bit. And sometimes it gets to the point where we look at a, a toddler who's referred for early intervention, and it, and it looks like they're avoiding interaction altogether. They seem to tune other people out, especially people outside their own family. And sometimes, again, mothers and dads can miss this because we're all so enamored with our own children and in love with them as we should be, but we're not quite as objective. Or their responses to us are quite different than they give other people. And we think, well, this is just because of our emotional bond and connection, and it is, but let me just say, uh, you know, they will always respond better and always have a more genuine, affectionate reaction to you than they will anyone else because you are their parent. But at the same time, kids have to learn how to interact with other people. And that engagement piece is best judged not with mom or dad, but with how other people who, uh, again, conceivably are good with children and like children, <laughs> how well do they respond to them. And that's sort of uh, the the measuring gauge that we're using now, especially for diagnoses where social interaction is a real problem like autism. So when we see a child who is making eye contact and is engaged with his mother, but then that, that engagement just has a sharp drop-off compared to other people. He doesn't respond to his name when other people call him. He doesn't really, really look when someone else tries to talk to him. He seems to kind of be in his own little world. Those are big, big red flags, and again, it may be best measured with people outside of a child's family there. So again, those kids may look like they're always busy, not listening when they talk, and let's really contrast this with toddlers with typically developing social skills. They do respond to their names, and again, that response is well established You know, by the time those kids are 9, 10, 11, 12 months old, certainly by that first birthday. All children should be responding when someone calls their name. The typically developing toddlers or toddlers with typically developing social skills also intently watch other people and so if you have a child again who does everything they can to kind of tune out other people that that social uh, piece is missing those kids again may have been more socially responsive when they were younger but somehow in this big important language learning window that that focus sometimes shifts so much to things they become so interested in um, playing with objects or they become so obsessed with screens, with tablets or uh, their iPads, phones, uh, television, that they really, really tune out other people. And so, again, kids need to learn how to be with other people and listen to other people and stay with other people so that they can learn how to communicate. So that that's a real difference that we see because kids with typically developing social skills and, and typically developing communication skills are trying to communicate with their little facial expressions and with their body movements and by pointing and leading and doing everything they can even before they learn how to talk. They've got that social piece. They know that they need another person to do something for them, whether it's just comfort them or get them something. Again, they understand that. They also respond. So when we see a kid, and so, again, we've talked about that with following, um, just staying with someone and listening to them as they talk. We'll get to the following directions piece in a minute. But when kids aren't naturally social and interactive, they're at a real disadvantage for learning language. So if a child that you're working with or your own child doesn't frequently connect with you with big, joyful smiles and with doesn't really listen when other people try to talk to him and it goes beyond that little first few uh, minutes of shyness, we know that there's a big problem, and then you've already got your first goal here. You don't need to worry about teaching him to say new words yet. 
your main focus is going to be getting him to like interacting with other people or at least tolerating <laughs> that interaction because without the social engagement piece, communication is not going to move forward. So that's the first piece. All right. Second big area that we pay attention to is receptive language. Now, what's receptive language? Well, this is how well a child understands the words that he hears. And I'm going to say this a couple of different times, but let me just go ahead and start with it, just lead with it. Kids must understand words before they use those words to begin to talk and communicate. And a lot of parents miss this piece too. They really will think <laughs> their child is understanding. So the very best and most practical way to judge a child's receptive language skills or just by looking at how well he follows directions during every change. So things like go get your shoes, things like bring me that book, even things like are you hungry, let's go get something to eat. A child should know, hey, eat, that means kitchen, that means refrigerator, let me get myself in there right now. And so toddlers with typically developing receptive language skills are doing these things easily by the time they're 15 to 18 months old. So for therapists, and let me just say that again, toddlers who with typically developing receptive language skills should be following a variety of simple commands, certainly by the time they're 18 months old. If they're not, there's a problem with that, with that receptive language development. And let me just say to a parent, that's why your child's not using words, because he doesn't understand words well enough. He hasn't linked meaning yet. So again, it's just jibber-jabber. Why else would he say a word if he doesn't really know what it means? It's not representative yet. So lots of times, too, as therapists, we don't explain that connection clearly enough to parents. So if you're a therapist and there's a child on your caseload with receptive language issues, you have got to just drive that point home so that parents get, ah, oh, the reason he's not talking yet is because he doesn't understand me yet. And let me just say, too, for therapists, sometimes we'll get parents who say, We'll ask a question, and I, I use this example all the time. If you've ever heard me in a live conference or taken one of my courses on DVD or even listened to this show, you've probably heard me say this. And I encourage therapists, again, in these live events to do it with me because it's such a universal experience for certainly for speech-language pathologists when we're interviewing parents and doing that initial assessment, and we'll say, how well does your child understand language? And, again, the universal answer is he understands Everything, and sometimes that cannot be further from the truth. But parents really think it because they're just not noticing. They're just not seeing that their child isn't really following directions. And so when a mom tells me he understands everything, but I can't get a child to follow one or two <laughs> even really familiar commands like give it to me or come here or sit down or, you know, where's the ball, I know there's a big, big problem, and there's a big disconnect there that mom isn't really understanding what's going on either. Now, sometimes uh, there is, well, let me just say this. Many times parents overestimate what their children understand, and sometimes they don't. It is about behavior because toddlers can be little stinkers. You know, they want to do what they want to do. And boy, adults, we're that way too. And many times parents will attribute a child's lack of following directions or that lack of behavioral compliance to a personality issue like he's stubborn or he's lazy. But guys, let me just encourage you. I, I, just, I, I don't buy that most of the time because even the most strong-willed toddlers with, with 
normal receptive language skills will still follow many, many, many different requests throughout everyday routines at home, especially if there's something in it for them. And so when we just chalk everything up to bad behavior or he doesn't listen or you can't tell him what to do, he's just as stubborn as a mule, you know, whatever we hear parents say, don't err on that. Now, sometimes we will have children who understand, again, I've already used a little persnickety toddler example, who understand something but just don't want to do it. That's completely different than a receptive language problem. And so we really, really have to tease that out. Is this child, you know, is he not following this direction because he can't do it or because he won't do it? And, again, you have to really, really use your own experience there. If a kid hardly follows commands, can't really... Uh, let behavior be the culprit there. We've got to really, really dig down and make sure that we are teaching them uh, to link meaning with words and so that they really, really are understanding what words mean. Now, receptive language or this comprehension piece is heavily dependent upon a toddler's cognition, his cognitive skills, how he thinks, how he learns, plans, and remembers. And that's how I explain cognition to parents. So if you're a therapist and you struggle with you don't want to just say cognitive skills are basically how smart a kid is, which is how parents think about that. Use those verbs, how he thinks, how he learns, how he plans, how he remembers. And, you know, receptive language, again, is really inseparable from cognition until a child gets to be about three, and we can really measure a lot of nonverbal IQ at that point. But know that kids who have cognitive delays will have some difficulty learning language. Most of the time, you know, it's commiserate with their delay. If they have a mild cognitive delay, they're just behind, say, three to six months. We have to know that they will at least have a mild uh, receptive language and expressive language delay, too, you know, because cognitive skills certainly um, form the foundation there for learning what words mean. And so when we know that a kid has a diagnosis that predisposes him to a cognitive delay, uh, there's some element there. There's something that's been identified. And, again, we've already talked about a diagnosis like Down syndrome. We know that those kids historically have difficulty learning, especially uh, self-help skills, you know, academic skills, those kinds of things. We'll know to expect those challenges, and we have to adapt our teaching strategies to meet a child's needs in this area. So, again, here, any time a child is struggling with receptive language, we have to be sure that we're teaching them to understand new words and new concepts long before we expect them to use those words to talk. And so here's our bottom line with receptive The child does not understand language well enough to consistently follow those directions, that's your first preliminary goal. You don't have to move on to anything else. <laughs> You've got to teach them to understand more words first and follow directions because remember what I already said, when do kids have to learn how to understand words in relationship to when they talk? It's before. They get it before. So that, again, forms the foundation. It is so highly unproductive to try to teach a child to say a word that he doesn't yet understand. And again, if, as a therapist or a teacher, you might think, well, that goes hand in hand. You know, as we're teaching him to understand it, he learns how to say it. And I want to say yes, but so many children really, really, really have to almost solidify <laughs> 
what a word means and really, really understand it and be able to demonstrate that they understand it well, you know, long, 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 long before, you know, weeks before, sometimes months before they're going to be able to say that. And so I want you to remember that too. And our bottom line here is any child who is 18 months old and can't follow lots of simple directions during very familiar routines at home is going to be diagnosed with at least a mild to moderate receptive language delay. Kids who are over two and not following directions in everyday routines, let me just say, they're at significant risk or it's significantly likely that they are or will be diagnosed with a receptive language delay because that that's what a receptive language delay is. They don't understand words well enough to functionally demonstrate that. So we've got to address this area first before we worry about their talking piece. All right, now we're up to expressive language. And this is the talking piece. So here we are. You know, we've covered social skills. We've covered receptive language. Finally, we're ready to think about how a child uses words. Now, again, expressive language can encompass much more than just what a kid can say. So it means anything he can express. And this might mean with gestures like pointing, or maybe even something a little bit more complicated like using sign language or a picture system, even something as simple as a facial expression. You know, we learn pretty early with our babies that when they make a grimace or a, even, even something that's a little bit more individualistic, when they're making that little face of theirs, we know, oh, she's unhappy, she doesn't like this, or oh, look at him, mm, yeah, that means he's really, really happy. He, he's enjoying what's going on right now. So kids who really learn to use those facial expressions, not just indiscriminately or reflexively, meaning that it just kind of happened, but a kid who, who's super purposeful about it, who purposefully looks at you and uh, tells you with how he's looking at you if he's angry with you, that's still considered expressive language. So how well can he communicate his own ideas and his own needs? Now, even before we get to the talking piece, remember kids have to be able to vocalize or use their little voices purposefully. We just talked about using their facial expressions purposefully. Now let's talk about that earliest little purposeful vocalization. For lots of kids, again, you know, for every kid crying, of course, is their first method of using intentional uh, vocal behavior here. But beyond that, things like whining, things like tone of voice, you can tell that, they, again, whether they're a little bit distressed or whether they're annoyed, those kinds of things. And sometimes toddlers with speech disorders, uh, speech delays, aren't able to control their vocalizations yet. So everything is still very reflexive. We've mentioned crying or even noises like sneezing or coughing. Those are things that just happen, that children don't plan, that they're not doing you know, of their own um, accord here. So this has to, their voices have to become under their voluntary control, meaning that a kid understands that he can use his voice and then he begins to purposefully imitate any sound that you've used. Now when babies do first begin to become noisy, when they're babbling and vocalizing and just kind of jabbering, the sounds are pretty random and late talkers will continue to do that too. Sometimes they'll use what professionals refer to as jargon. So those are long strings of unintelligible speech. The problem is with those kinds of kids, you know, we, we, we think about it maybe as speech intelligibility, which we'll get to in a minute, but most of the time it's that they, they don't have the vocabulary yet to be able to express what they need to say. They understand that they should talk, but, again, that meaning is not there. Or they haven't, uh, again, 
really learned those um, really finite sound strings that we call words. They don't really know how to sequence those together yet. But a lot of times, let me just say, they don't understand that direct imitation piece, meaning that you say a word and then they try to imitate that word too. So verbal imitation is a huge part of expressive language development. It's a real missing piece for lots of late talkers too. And as therapists, I'm sure that you'll recognize that. And we, there's no way that we can begin to teach a child to imitate that whole process of imitation with words and with sounds. We have to back that way up developmentally and begin with teaching children to imitate that whole act of I'm going to watch you and do what you do. And again, it is that imitation piece is such a critical predictive piece for uh, how a child will be talking. And uh, there's a piece of research in child development. I think the year was 2013 when the study was published that children, uh, their, their imitative abilities, their ability to copy actions with objects, so can they copy what you do with a toy? At 18 months was the very biggest predictor of language development at 36 months. So at a year and a half, looking at how well it, can he do what I do. So if I pick up a car and bang it with another car, will he try to copy that? If I uh, pick up a drumstick and bang it on the drum, will he try to do that too? If I get a hat and put it on my head, and then if I give the hat to her, will she try to put that on her head too? That's how imitation develop, develops. It's that I can watch you, I can see, and then I can do too. And so we have to think about that. And again, in typically developing toddlers, this imitation process evolves over and develops over several months during the last half of the first year, and it takes much, much longer in toddlers with any kind of developmental delay. So if you are working with a kid or your own child who isn't using very many words, but he has met the social piece and he has met the receptive piece, then your plan would be expressive language. I'm going to look at this verbal imitation piece, and again, if he's not imitating any actions with toys or any gestures like waving or clapping or pointing, that's where I'm going to start. It's getting those kinds of earlier imitative skills going first. Now, if those things, if getting imitation going still seems like too much of a stretch, or if a child has a diagnosis that would indicate that learning to talk is going to be really, really hard, it is super important to get an augmentative or alternative communication system going for that kid. And therapists call that AAC. So again, uh, alternative augmentative communication. And so that would be introducing sign language, introducing a picture system. If it's going to be more long-term, you might think about a speech-generating device, meaning that there's a special, um, a special piece of technology that you're using, a whole separate device, or it could be something like an app on a child's iPad or on his tablet that speaks when he uh, selects the correct picture message. So again, lots of different ways that we can get this expressive piece going, but my point here is we don't really think about that or shouldn't think about that until we have firmly gotten receptive language uh, really, really moving along, and then even before that, the social piece too. So expressively, that's going to be our plan. We're going to look at making sure that we've gotten those two big uh, areas covered first before we move to this expressive piece, and then the first thing that we're going to look at with expressive communication is how well can this child imitate. And we're going to back it up, not just imitate words or imitate sounds. We'll get to that, but we're going to look at how he imitates actions with objects and certainly body movements too. And there's another continuum with that. You know, children just 
don't start popping out words. Usually they use shorter shorter segments of sounds first, so syllables. And when we think about when children begin to babble and begin to make purposeful sounds, many, many times those, they're, they're, those sound things are not as complex as quote-unquote real words. So we have to think about that too. Kids can learn to use play sounds, play noises. We talked about things like coughing and sneezing. You know, those begin as uh, reflexive, meaning that a child just does it. But, you know, think about a, t a typically developing baby or baby with typically developing speech-language skills. They begin to even use those little reflexive sounds um, on purpose. So they do fake coughing to get your attention. They'll do some... Uh, start to, uh, lots of times, toddlers start talking by making animal sounds or little play sounds like car noises and little exclamatory words like uh-oh or woo or wow. We'll hear those before we start to hear real words. So, again, there's a continuum there. Sometimes we can't start with real words. Even with uh, even when we're all the way up to the expressive language piece, there are these little steps that come in between. So again, that's why we have to have a plan so that we don't miss anything and so that this, again, is a framework and a hierarchy. All right, lastly, this last big piece that we're going to talk about today is speech intelligibility. Now, this can really trip lots of adults up, especially speech therapists, because, boy, can we be super picky about not what the kid is trying to say but how he's trying to say it. And that is a big, 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 big mistake for those who work in early intervention. Now, of course, being understood is a big part of communicating, and we don't want to downplay. You know, that's so frustrating for a child, too. When we've waited and waited and waited for, you know, months, sometimes years, for them to talk and they finally do start to talk and we don't understand what they're saying, oh, that is so frustrating for us as adults, but it's so frustrating for the child too. And so, again, I'm not play downplaying uh, the role of speech intelligibility. However, what a kid is trying to say, especially at two and at three or, you know, one, two, and three in that earliest developmental language phase here. What a kid is trying to say is so much more important than how he says it. And so we have to always keep that in mind, and we're not going to worry about it or work on the speech intelligibility piece until that expressive piece is in place that we just talked about. They're trying to talk. They're using lots of different words, even if we can't, even if they are not getting all the right sounds in all the right places. And, again, that's what speech pathologists think about is articulation. And let's remember, too, that this, with this piece, all toddlers can be hard to understand. And even the norms are pretty generous in this area. So at 24 months, so at the second birthday, based on tons of developmental research, we know that parents may only understand about half of what a child says. Now, between two and three, that speech intelligibility requirement really goes up so that parents should understand almost everything by the time a child is three. So some sources say 75%, most sources say about 90%. So parents should understand almost everything when a kid is three. Uh, but we have to remember, again, there's some variability in there and there's some expected difficulty. When children are learning how to talk, it's not all going to be as perfect as we would want it to be. So the pronunciation piece, you know, a lot of times I have to, I just really tell parents, let's just don't even worry about that yet. You know, we have got bigger fish to fry here. We've got to worry about all these other things first before we start trying to correct individual speech sounds. And remember, too, that a child's speech may be hard to understand for 
several different reasons. Sometimes, again, we mentioned jargon earlier with expressive language. A parent thinks that a child is really talking in sentences and that if we just get the right sounds in the right places that he's really sharing long paragraphs. But usually we, we know jargon is a phase of typical language development, but kids with language delays just stay in that phase you know, much, much longer than we would expect for a kid who does not have a delay. And we know, too, that it's uh, we should start to hear true words mixed in with that jargon. So a kid may do blah, 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 mama or may even at the beginning say something like, ugh, for look, and then do a string of something that you can't understand. But we should hear some words that we can pick out in there and that we know the child well enough to recognize, gosh, this is what he's trying to say. And so, again, sometimes kids will have a mixture of that jargon plus some true words mixed in, and that's completely normal. Uh, lots of times, though, with jargon, kids understand that they should talk, but especially when it persists past age two, there's a big receptive language problem. So we're going to have to back up to that receptive language piece. They get the talking part. Their little speech system is moving along. It's just the language piece is disrupted. So we have to go back and help them really learn what words mean and double down on that comprehension piece, and then their expressive language takes off, and then their intelligibility improves because now they're really saying real words. <laughs> so there's a real target there. It's not just, again, that they're using that jargon. Uh, again, there are uh, other disorders where children may have specific sound errors which prevent them from being understood. And so it could just be that developmentally they can't say a certain sound yet. Uh, there are often error patterns of a child speaks only using vowels. He doesn't have any consonants. Or maybe there's just a few, he only uses a few consonant sounds, but they're only at the beginning of words. He leaves them off when they're in the middle or at the end of words. Or he may shorten the word altogether and just speak in one-word syllables. And so instead of saying something like, I want a chocolate chip cookie, he may say, you know, let's take the consonants out and all the syllables out, and it might be, you know, ah, 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 ah. You know, and I did chocolate chip there, you know, with chocolate chip, I had the right number of syllables, but he just may do, you know, uh, for cookie, you know, uh, or uh, you know, the vowel's wrong and the syllables are wrong. And so, again, lots of different reasons, lots of different factors go into that speech intelligibility piece. And so we have to really consider all of those things. Some children don't have established error patterns. When kids have apraxia or a motor planning disorder, their errors are pretty random. And so they may say a word completely fine one time and then you know, mispronounce it the next ten times they try to say it, and they may not have any consistency with what those errors are. So the word sounds a little bit different every time they try to say it. And so we're not going to address those specific issues because, gosh, that could be podcast after podcast after podcast. But we just know as we're looking at this overall framework and hierarchy, we are not going to focus on speech intelligibility until expressive language or a child's vocabulary, his his length of what he's trying to say, is he trying to talk in phrases? You know, I would never think about speech intelligibility for a toddler unless they're really using multi-word phrases consistently, unless there's a varied vocabulary. So that expressive piece is firmly established. And again, we're not going to worry about that expressive piece, what they're saying as if a kid isn't understanding. So if they're not following lots and lots and lots of directions, 
if they don't if they're not pointing to body parts, if they're not identifying pictures, let's say we're working with the puzzle and we should be able to say, you know, where's the truck? Show me the plane. Let's find the boat. If they're not understanding what keywords mean, certainly, you know, we're not going to try to get them to say it yet. We've got to focus on the comprehension piece first. I work on comprehension with a kid who's not socially connected to us, so a kid who's not staying with us and playing with us and who doesn't have a pretty decent attention span. And so, again, each of these four areas is such an important part of language development, and when we don't address a toddler's areas of weakness, it just it 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 just leads to a lack of progress, and we're, because we're working on the wrong thing, that would be like trying to teach a high school kid to do algebra, really really struggling with multiplication and division, or we're trying to work on multiplication and division with a kid when he doesn't understand addition and subtraction. So we've got to really really look at language in that same continuum with. Social comes first, then receptive language and cognition kind of paired together, then expressive language, and then articulation. If you were using that overall framework, and there's certainly so many things under each of those four areas, but you're not going to mess up <laughs> as badly as you do It's when you work on the wrong skill and in the wrong order. So that's just what I want to leave you with this week, with just that basic hierarchy with social skills, receptive language and cognition, then expressive skills, expressive language, and then speech intelligibility. That's what I want to leave you with this week, and that's what I about therapist with every single kid you see. Am I getting these pieces in the right place? Does this make sense from a developmental perspective? And as a parent, what I want you to remember is <laughs> all of these things matter. And so you can't really work on talking if a kid's not connected to you. You can't really work on saying words until a kid understands words. You don't want to worry about how a kid understands, how you, well you understand a kid or how he sounds. You want to worry about what he says. And so I hope I can leave you with these little things and you can think about it. Now next week's show, we're going to take this hierarchy and let's walk through some different activities and talk about something like water play. How would we address each of these areas in water play or something? And, again, that could be a play activity that you're doing in a therapy session or it can be an everyday routine like taking a bath at home. And so we're going to take over the next couple of weeks, we'll take that this overall hierarchy, this overall framework, and talk about the specific activities at home, how we can uh, attack, <laughs> address, each of these goals in each of these areas because it can be done and language development happens uh, and teaching language can happen anytime, anywhere. And so we want to be sure that we're walking through that so that you don't get stuck thinking this is all about the toy or the activity or whatever. If we keep this general framework in mind, uh, we're, we're going to do much, 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 much better than if we're just trying to address the expressive piece alone with kids who are late talkers. All right, that's it for today. I hope that you enjoyed the show, and I hope that you'll enjoy uh, come back next week and hopefully enjoy that one too. All right, that's it for today. Thanks so much. Have a great day.